We are going to pick up where, where we left off on uh, Christ. Occupation is greater than self-occupation. Number three here. Um, we're going to go ahead and take the offering. And I'm not going to do a real big offering intro. You can see on your screens like you have a thousand times how to give. Is it up there yet? Okay. Come on up, guys. And I'm just here to say I appreciate you giving. And if you don't give, um, I appreciate you just being here with me, okay? So thank you so much for giving tonight. And Father, we just, we pray the spirit of wisdom and revelation, insight into mysteries and secrets and the deep and intimate knowledge of you in regards to everyone online that, are, that is giving and everyone in this room or that even gives later, Father, that you would grant unto them concerning their finances, wisdom and revelation. Insight into mysteries. Wouldn't you like to know some mysteries about finances and secrets and the deep and intimate knowledge of you? In Jesus' mighty name, amen. amen. You guys can pass those out. Shorter offering, longer sermon, 53 uh, scriptures. Russ Kallenberg only had 33 last week because I counted. Anyways. I know the last time we did a Saturday night, I probably looked kind of cocky up here, talk, talked about coming in with information that you could study in the Bible in regards to Ananias and Sapphira and Acts and the whole situation in Acts over there with the church. I just don't have time to do that, okay? So I will do that some other time when I'm ready for the emails, all right? But what we've been doing is 2 Peter 1, verse 2, may grace God's favor and peace. What? What kind of peace? Perfect well-being. Who's been in perfect well-being all week? I didn't come in, in this building in perfect well-being. All necessary good. This kind of peace. Spiritual prosperity. All. You have freedom from fear. Agitating passions. You even have freedom from moral conflicts. Did I just whistle? Conflicts? Conflicts? It's because of the... Second Peter 1, 5 through 9. Okay, wait. Why? How do you get this grace and peace uh, with full, personal, keep precise and correct knowledge of God and Jesus? You get this grace you don't deserve. This is what we've been talking about. And then five, uh, three verses later, for this reason, and this always... A lot of fruits of the Spirit, a lot of ways you're supposed to act here. I just, if you read it in Amplified, it looks like a list of you kind of graduate to the next thing. And I always honestly got depressed when I read this little list. For this reason, add your diligence to the divine promises. Employ every effort in exercising your faith to develop virtue. There's one translation calls that moral character. Exercise your faith to develop moral character uh, ex and, and, and in exercising virtue, develop intelligence. And in, in knowledge, develop self-control. Self-restraint after you get knowledge. I must not have enough. And then after self-control, you develop steadfastness. I don't know if this is an order. You should pay attention to orders in the Bible, though. Um, 
And in exercising steadfastness, godliness, or other, other words, devotion to God. And in exercising godliness, brotherly affection. Exercising brotherly affection, finally, Christian love. Not, not, not love like the world gives. For as these qualities are yours, not like you're going to get them all at once, and increasingly abound in you, they have to really come. They will keep you from being idle and unfruitful. Oh, so if you act this way, this is going to keep you from being idle and unfruitful in the knowledge that you gain of Jesus. Oh, that was scary to me to hear that. They can keep you from putting that knowledge to use. These attributes, fruits of the Spirit, and whoever lacks these qualities, you're blind, you're only seeing what's right in front of you. You're only seeing what's near. And you have become... All right, let's just think about this. You've been, why? If you lack these things, it's about to tell you why you're lacking in self-restraint, moral character, losing your temper, um, not being able to love others effectively, consistently, uh, your devotion to God. You know, what's the reason? What's the only reason? You can find me another one if you want in the New Testament, but you have become oblivious to the fact that you have been cleansed from your old sins. Old sins. You've, you're oblivious. So, wait, 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 wait. When you have moral character, when you don't have self-restraint, brotherly affection, devotion to God, and just straight-up Christian love, it's not because you didn't pray enough. It's not because you didn't read enough. It's because... Somewhere you forgot your sins were forgiven. Hmm. And then last week, uh, we talked about, you know, Peter, the first Gentiles ever saved. Non-Jews were Italians. Peter shows up at this house. He preaches to them. And listen to what he says in Acts 10, 43. To him all the prophets testify, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was saying what? Receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The Holy Spirit fell on the Italians who were listening to the message and all the Jews that had come with and they immediately started speaking in tongues. That means they were saved immediately on the spot. They didn't say a prayer of salvation. They just heard forgiveness of sins they believed it, and tongues just, it means the Holy Spirit like sat on them like he did in Acts. So, because it says they heard him talking in tongues. Have you ever heard someone teach you that you do not have your healing because you have unforgiveness in your heart? Is that a true statement? We're going to get to that, all right, next week. So, God designed our bodies for love to receive his love. You have to know how much God loves you. And from that point, it integrates with your spirit, soul, and body. The more you enjoy the heart of God, whether in church or personal time with him, the more he brings you along. I believe God himself can love you into wholeness. Where we left off last week, we ended it with this. This is really, if, if you speak it out loud, it's a prayer. It's the word. It's supposed to have power. It, it, 
it's supposed to have the ability to change your life now, or at least by the time you're walking out of the service, but you have to believe it. So we're going to put it on the screens, and we're all going to say it together, even if it just helps one person in here. But this is focused on how much God loves you. God is not going to expect you to act all these ways when he doesn't act this way to you. This is his love that goes inside you, right? So let's say it like that. Are you ready? On three, one, two, three. God's love for me is very patient and kind. God's love for me never boils over with jealousy. God is never arrogant towards me. God is never conceited with me. God is not put on airs with me. God is never rude to me. God is never unmannerly with me. God's love is never in me is never selfish. God does not insist on having his own way because of his love. God's love for me never insists on his own rights. It is never self-seeking because God loves me so much I can never provoke him. God's love has no evil thoughts for me. God's love for me has no malice. God's, God's loves me so much he keeps no record of wrongs. God's love towards me is not irritable, is not resentful, he is not touchy, and does not keep an account of evil. God's love in me does not gloat over other men's sins. God's love in me is never glad when others have trouble. The Father loves me so much he bears all things, overlooks my faults. God's love is slow to expose. God is always eager to believe the best in me. Remember that one. God's love is always there for me no matter what. There's nothing God's love in me cannot face. God's love for me is hoping all things, enduring all things. It gives me power to endure everything in the name of Jesus. The more you understand that God loves you deeply in all these ways, the more he will hug you back into wholeness. We're, we're designed to express love. One of the best ways to express God's love and get it yourself is to express that love to someone else, even just with a compliment. And I'm not talking about dudes in the workplace saying, hey, you got some beautiful hair today. You're going to HR if you work here. Okay. So you're going to see Barbara, all right? Not talking about that, right? And so it can be a freeing thing that, it, like that, that builds in you. It's the only way I can explain it. When you ex- express love to another human being, when you give it, if, if you're so caught up in the cycle of unforgiveness that you let a root of bitterness grow, the Bible says it starts with a seed, it actually springs up. Your body was not designed for that. Eventually, it can cause your body to break down because your body is not designed for hatred. Why is it that people don't forgive others freely? Notice there's always different levels of forgiveness, you know? You know, you know what I mean? You're always, with different people, you can be at different levels. You can know someone is always gonna hate you. You know you'll probably never talk to them again, but you have to keep your heart clear, right? So you pray for them. Or there's other levels where someone just bothers you. With me, if they bother me long enough, before I know it, I'm, I'm, I'm acting in unforgiveness, right? Going back to the very beginning, somewhere I don't remember my own sins were forgiven. 
okay? And so we're back to the very beginning, the whole series with that question because they don't realize how much God has freely forgiven them. We extend other people the kind of forgiveness we feel God is extending us. The church as a whole rarely talks about the forgiveness of sins, the extent of forgiveness, and, 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 of, and people are running around a completely self-occupied, opposed to being Christ-occupied, I'm talking to myself. When you see Jesus receiving your punishment for all your sin, it goes a lot farther into you forgiving yourself. A lot of people that can't forgive others can't forgive themselves. Luke 7, 47 and 48, therefore I tell you, her sins, many as they are, forgiven her because she's loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And, and paraphrasing that, Jesus is saying, the more you know you're forgiven, the more you will love. That goes back to where we started. The less you know you're forgiven, the less you will love. You could also put it this way. If you don't understand how forgiven you are, it's impossible to, to be thankful for the forgiveness you have. People extend forgiveness to other people based on how much they think they've been forgiven. If we think God gives us half forgiveness, we give half forgiveness. But if we think God has forgiven us all of our sins for our entire life, past, present, future, the Bible says in numerous places that we've already read that we will, we, we, we will have that type of forgiveness for others eventually. How many have uh, heard, heard this, this teaching if you don't forgive others, God will not forgive you. Okay. Let's go to Mark eleven twenty four. Remember Mark eleven twenty three and 24. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart. He's talking about speaking to your mountain. That's why we spoke earlier. We're speaking to Jim's mountain, right? Maybe your mountain. Maybe just the five people that finished their prescriptions mountains. I, I don't know right? But then I always heard him preach this, right? Famous word of faith. But then they would go into Mark eleven twenty five, 25, and when you stand praying, forgive. If you have ought against any that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you of your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. Okay? You ever heard that preached? It's wrong. Okay? It's in the Gospels. He hadn't died yet. There were no Christians. That's what you had to do under the law. Okay? I'm telling you. There was not one Christian on earth at this point. Okay? And then that makes God a liar. Hold on. I don't want to get it. I remember being a teenager and I've heard Joseph Prince say the same thing, have the same experience of being so afraid of someone who's bullying me. I remember someone uh, who was bullying a friend of mine just trying to forgive that person. And, but I was so afraid that God was holding against me whatever I was holding against them. I didn't even bother to pray because that scripture had been drilled into us by the church of God, not by living word. It was almost a trap. I'm talking about church of God. Is like a, it's, it's a denomination. Okay, it's a, it's a Pentecostal denomination. It was almost a trap because I remember thinking these people, this person who's so annoying and so uh, such a borderline enemy, is the reason God is not forgiving me right now. Okay, 
According to what we just read, that's what was preached over and over, and it's wrong. How do we end last week? Well, then God's a liar if he's going to do that to the, to the extent that you give forgiveness to others, he's going to forgive you. And to the extent you don't give forgiveness to others, he's not going to forgive you. Oh, then Hebrews 8, 12, the end of the new covenant. I'll be merciful and gracious toward their sins. And I'll remember their deeds of unrighteousness no more. So which one is it, God? Is it that one or this one? Is it Jesus or Paul? Jesus is talking uh, under the law, speaking to the disciples. There were no Christians. Do you understand that? You have to look at everything he said before he went to the cross, gave his blood for you, and then took his blood up to the heavenly holy of holies. If he hadn't done that, all right, it's going to contradict. Everything he said is going to contradict after that, and it does. And it's easily explained. But instead, you get. Okay, I won't say that word. I was going to say Yehus. Yehus. <laughs> Preaching your head, you don't forgive them. If you don't forgive them, you know, he's not forgiving you. Something else about the law, if you could obey the law, you could obey them all. But no one ever obeyed the, a law out, outside of Jesus Christ. The law is not for you to keep, the old covenant. That is not what the law was given to the Israelites for. The law was given to expose to them, to you and to you, how much everyone needs Jesus. The scriptures are all, all over the New Testament in regards to this. The old, Testament, the old covenant was given to expose sin. So when you try to follow it, when they tried, they never could. They failed, and, and bad things would happen to them, right? That's why you have a new covenant. The law was given to expose your inability to keep it. There's nothing wrong with Old Testament law. Jesus made it clear. The Pharisees made the law keepable. So a lot of the exchanges, when he's being hardcore, put your eye out, right? I mean, um, he's talking to Pharisees who were teaching you can keep the law. They adjusted the old covenant laws. Uh, listen, you know, a lot of those hard words of sin towards them, he was trying to correct them. Let me give you an example. The, the old covenant was designed by God to be an inflexible justice. If you study this out in the underlying meanings, but in, in one conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees, paraphrasing Jesus was simply bringing the, the law back to its original perfection. Back to its original Let's just see if any sirens go off. Let's, I haven't done this in a long time. There's no one wearing masks anyways. Are we supposed to be wearing masks? No? no it's a choice, right? I, I guess. I, I don't really keep up with it, right? Okay, I think we can do this then. The Pharisees were saying, as long as you don't sleep with a woman that's other than your wife, it's not adultery. Okay? They were saying, you can look at another woman and you can think whatever you want to think as long as you don't commit the act. Jesus said, no, 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 no. If you think about it enough and it gets into your heart, that's a sin. 
He was correcting them. He was correcting them, right? He was correcting the Pharisees. And so Jesus was saying, you, you can't follow the law. You've adjusted it. You, can, you know, basically he's saying, you better guard your thoughts after you look her up and down. That's what he's saying. Because according to you guys, you can think about whatever you want. And that's wrong. God made the law so perfect that it would drive us to despair so that you could see your need for Jesus Christ. The very perfection of the old covenant law is designed to bring you to the end of yourself. And so Christians living under that law, even though they believe Jesus died and they're going to heaven, they, they, they're very disappointed and frustrated all the time. They're following all the rules they think, right? And they think because they're following all those rules that they're gonna get, get, get. Only your relationship with Jesus Christ gets, gets, gets. Galatians 3, 23 through 25, now before the faith came, we were perpetually guarded under the law. Before. That means you're not now. Kept in custody in preparation for faith. There was destined to be revealed. Now it has been. So that the law served to us Jews as our trainer, our guardian, our guide to Christ. But not now to lead us until Christ came that we might be justified, declared righteous, put in right standing. But now that faith has come, righteousness, faith, we are no longer under a trainer. The King James calls it a schoolmaster. It says you have no longer need for the schoolmaster. Your attempt to keep the law betrays the fact, okay, I'm not gonna say that. Mark eleven twenty five. 25, when you stand praying, forgive. If you have ought against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. It's what he was telling the Jews under the law. He hadn't died. You didn't get the, the, the kind of forgiveness we get now. Are you aware of that? That's the kind of forgiveness you got under the other covenant. But after he died and rose again, Jesus, the present day, Jesus, the one who's seated at the right hand of the Father at this very moment, the enthroned Jesus, the glorious Jesus, the one who is seated with the Father because all his work is over. He has no more work to do. Jesus Christ himself gave these words to the Apostle Paul after he was raised from the dead. Today, Jesus is telling you that you should forgive others because God for the sake of Jesus Christ, has already forgiven you past, present, and future. That's why you should forgive others. In other words, you have Jesus speaking to the members of the church, me and you, worldwide, through Paul, the guy that wrote over half the New Testament, and listen to what he says. Forgive even as God has forgiven you. Under the law, you had to forgive in order for God to forgive you. Under grace, we forgive because we understand how much we've been forgiven, unless you don't understand. That's what we're trying to get across. Think about this next time you're thinking about the person, that if you get away with it, and no one could ever find out that you might punch in the nose, or you have that thought, just, everybody just, just talking to someone, you're both kind of frustrated, and just, image of, boop, not even that hard. Just run away. I don't know. Okay, sorry, so violent. The person you just, 
Don't like that moment. Maybe some of you guys or a lot of you guys just don't have anyone like that. God forgave me my $1 billion debt of sin, past, present, and future. I can't turn around and forgive someone their $700 worth of sin towards me. You know, there's a process to that, though. If you think you can snap your fingers and forgive someone, you don't think he's going to have grace for that? Mercy for that? Or you just, you get nothing, right, as you go through your struggle. When I was doing membership classes for a couple of years, I remember a lady one time, I had a question. She said, why don't, I don't understand why this church never does the Lord's Prayer. I just, every church I've been in, do the Lord's Prayer every week. Do you know the Lord never called it the Lord's Prayer? Jesus said a lot of prayers. Why is that one the Lord's Prayer? Man, people called it the title that the Lord's Prayer. What Jesus was doing, he gave us the best general prayer that you should pray while they and he, the disciples, were walking on earth at the time before he died. That's not for now. It won't work very good. Okay? I'm just being straight. Before he bought his blood up to the Holy of Holies, how do we pray? And, and we're going to explain it. Okay, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, Lord's Prayer. Okay? Kenneth Hagin Sr. used to preach the Lord's Prayer as an old covenant prayer. Really what he's saying is the New Testament gives you a lot better prayers to pray. The epistles, more effective prayers. Let's break down the Lord's Prayer or how the Lord instructing the nine Christian disciples how to pray before he died. Man calls it the Lord's Prayer. God never called it that. Matthew 9, 10, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Notice it says in verse 10, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When did his kingdom come? Technically. When the church received the Holy Ghost over in Acts. That's when the kingdom came. The day of Pentecost. When was God's will done? When it says, thy will be done. When was God's will, when was it done? When Jesus said to the Father, lo, I come to do thy will. God's will was done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Already been done. Already been done. You don't need to pray that. You don't need to pray for the kingdom come. Okay? You want his will. I'll show you a couple of good ones. This is God taking away the first covenant to establish a second covenant, a new covenant which we talked about last week. His will was done at the cross when Jesus became your representative in the second covenant, the new covenant. I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, was before the cross. In the Lord's Prayer, you come to this part that says, forgive us our trespasses. Oh, there it is again. As we forgive those who trespass against us. Matthew 6, 14. Didn't we cover that? I think we covered that. What this is telling us is the same thing we read in Mark 11.25. Treat us how we treat others, God. No, God, don't treat me how I treat others. Oh, you, you, you think he will? Then, he, then you know what? You're opening a lot. If you think God is going to treat you how you treat others, you're opening up a can of worms for yourself. Okay? 
Because where's your, where's your faith? In the cross and what he did and what he died for. There's a better prayer in the new covenant. That's why the Lord's prayer is an old covenant prayer. That, that Jesus was explaining the disciples how to pray two years before his death, before the cross, under the old covenant. Can we show you a more effective prayer? We're going to start trying to do one of these every week. I've taken the amplified version because it helps you understand more. So what you're looking at on the screens is a mixture of the amplified and King James because sometimes the amplified uses way too many words and overamplifies. Let's pray this together out loud over you and your families and whatever mental list of people. That's all you need. He knows. He knows who you want. And you take this. You take this for yourself. Don't. You should say this every day. I would say this prayer every day. I do say this prayer every day. Don't receive it. Take it. Okay, it opens. You don't have to say this yet. We'll do it on three together. But notice he says, I do not cease not to pray and give thanks for you. And I mention you. All you got to do is mention him. He, he's saying, I always mention you. I'm not ceasing to pray this for you. Right here, here we go. He's telling the church how to pray. He's writing this to a Christian church. He's not talking to Jews that weren't saved yet like Jesus was. They didn't even understand he was going to the cross yet. Right? So you ready? On three. One, two, three. We pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's the Father of glory, may grant unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation insight into mysteries and secrets and the deep and intimate knowledge of him. Hold on now, hold on. This is what we talked about in Peter. Knowledge of Jesus, grace. Now you're praying to be able to, to use that knowledge, to get that knowledge. That's what you just prayed, all right? So starting with verse 18, ready? One, two, three. By having the eyes of our hearts flooded with light so we can know and understand the hope to which we have been called and how rich is your glorious inheritance in the saints, your set-apart ones. May we come to know and understand the immeasurable, unlimited, and surpassing greatness of your power that is in us and for us, just because we believe, which you worked in Christ when you raised him from the dead, set him at your own right hand, heavenly places. Okay, we'll hold it there. Thanks for humoring me, guys. But somebody needed to say that, right? And you take it, if you're going to say it on your own, all the way through verse 23, right? You might just find out that speaking that into the atmosphere of the word of God, something changes. But you have to be thinking like that. You have to be thinking like that, that that, that can happen for you. But besides that prayer, there's at least three other really big ones. And basically, the Apostle Paul is saying, these are the prayers you should be praying. These ones. If you're a Christian in the church, after the death of Jesus, these are the prayers you should be praying. And remember, you can pray your own prayers, too. You know that, right? You can talk to God like he's your buddy, right? But there's power when you pray the Bible. Remember the whole theme of the last three messages What does it mean when Christians basically don't have godly character or just don't operate in the fruits of the Spirit? It says they've forgotten their sins were forgiven. Well, where's repentance in all this? Or knocking down, aren't we? We have, we have, 
Uh, no, no, no. Uh, taught for so long, God will only forgive you how much you forgive others. Wrong. Okay, we went over that, right? Okay, the word repentance comes from an idea in the English language, which means to feel sorrow or regret. Okay, that's the word that's in the Bible, right? Unfortunately, not every English word comes from the Greek language. So that would be really nice but that's not the way it works because it would make the English Bible a lot easier to understand. What is inspired by your Bible is the original language it was written in. New Testament was Greek. The Old Testament was Hebrew. When they, the writers actually wrote it. We're talking about what's inspired. When the word repentance is used, English does not get that word from the Greek. Right? Our English word repentance comes from a French word. The root of that comes from a Latin word, and it focuses all on feelings. Whereas the Greek word for repentance, the word that was actually written, okay, focuses on the mind, M-I-N-D. It's the word metanoia. The word repentance in the Greek is metanoia. It means, meta means change. Noia means mind. Change mind. That's all it means. Doesn't mean anything about your feelings. Okay? If you read some English dictionaries on repentance, and remember it's originally a Latin word, and it tells you to feel sorrow and regret. You know, I remember uh, in, a, in a Christian school, it was a Church of God school. It was before they bought, before Living Word bought Maranatha, so we were going to that school. And, um, but this is the 80s, so it was corporal punishment, right? Big, big board, holes in it. That's amazing to think, think how much went on, right? I remember one time I got caught cheating, and they, 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 get, they sent me in three times a day for five swats each time. So it was very humiliating. You had to, you had to bend over the desk. It was almost like, you just didn't feel. I remember, remember the guy telling me, you know, Jim, if you cry, it shows God you're repenting. Huh? You think I cried? I had friends that would go in there and start screaming immediately, hoping that it would just ease it up. Well, I wouldn't cry. I wouldn't cry for him. Okay? So this dude wanted me to feel so much solemn regret. Right? He wanted to make me cry. He called that Repentance. The real, meaning, the real meaning of repentance, the Greek word for repentance, is not to feel a compunction of sin. All this is not original meaning of repentance that God meant it to be. The translators focus on feelings and emotions. God's focus is on the mind and the thoughts. God's focus is on a change of mind and a change of mentality. That's why the Bible tells you to renew your mind. You know, the Bible in the Old King James in the Old Testament it even says God repented. God repented in the Old Testament. You think he was sorry and sad? And he repented up there? You know what he repented about? Because he made Saul a king. Shouldn't have done that. They wanted it. That does not, that, no, that means God changed his mind about King Saul. Okay? So much for God looking into the future all that time. But that's another deep topic. 
If God is looking into the future all the time, if he knows what you're going to do in the future tomorrow, how can he believe the best in you right now? That's deep. It's another subject, another sermon. Don't ask me out there. Okay? I just don't think he's always looking at the future. I just don't. Some of you are confused and some of you are following me. I'm here to say that we're all against sin. I've said that before, but in saying that, this is really going to blow some people's theology out of the water. But in the New Testament, you never see the phrase repent from sin. Not one time. What you find is the word repentance by itself, not referring to sin, or you find repentance from dead works. You study out the word dead works, it is not sin. It has nothing to do with sin. It can refer to good works that you did that you weren't even supposed to be doing. One scholar defined dead works in the Greek as anything you do thinking by doing it, you're going to get righteousness with God. Anything you do thinking by doing this, I'm going to be more righteous with God. Dead works. Other than just straight up believing in the blood of Jesus being shed for you. That's all you need to have in New Testament. Righteousness. When Jesus started his ministry, do you know what he said about repentance? Study it for yourself in Mark run, and I'm paraphrasing. He says, repent and believe the gospel. That's basically what he said. Repent. And believe the gospel. In other words, if you don't believe the good news that your sins are forgiven, now you need to change your mind. Jesus is saying, I'm coming to you with a gospel and it means good news. Change your mind and believe it. One translation said, repent, change your mind, and believe the good news. As you can see, we're going to continue this next week as I close. And, and I'm not going to answer the question God will not heal you if you have unforgiveness towards someone. We're not going to, we're going to come back. Come back. I don't want the letter. Don't write the emails yet, okay? As we close and start to finish, you'll see as we deftly transition into communion, okay, you won't even know. What is the good news? The good news is basically your sins will never be held against you because his shed blood, he will shed his blood in order to remove them. Jesus was saying, through my suffering, through my passion, you're supposed to have good news and the forgiveness of all your sins, past, present, and future. What does that got to do with the English word repentance? You've got to feel this and feel that. Have I felt enough sorrow for God yet? Mm, I think he healed Job, and Job never liked those people, did they? He healed Job. Remember, gave him a plant. Job had a lot of unforgiveness. Have I felt, for me to be forgiven, have I repented? How many days of regret must I go through for God to think I repented enough? Nobody wants your passion, in my opinion. There's only one passion that's worthy of God's blessings, God's favor, and God's gift of righteousness, and that's Jesus' blood and his passion for you. That's it. 
in his sweat and tears, not your sweat and tears, not you shedding any blood, not you feeling pain and suffering, you feeling pain and suffering for your wrongdoings cannot save you, cannot save you. It cannot get you blessed. His blood, the blood of Jesus, is the only real holy thing that can save you. So when you see repent in the New Testament, think of changing your mind and believing the gospel, which is only good news. It's only good news. The good news is your sins are completely forgiven through the blood of Jesus. I remember one time we were in church service. Hey, you guys got, oh, is there anyone that doesn't have a, a communion thing? Sorry. Let's make sure everybody has a communion thing. Raise your hands high because we're about to take communion in just a little bit, okay? Remember, before my parents were pastors, there was a lady preacher, a hardcore um, search your heart during communion. You better search your heart. You know? So I can remember searching my heart at 12, 11. In desperation. But, and we're supposed to go up as a family. But I didn't want to go from searching my heart as a 12-year-old boy who'd barely done anything wrong at that time. I mean, the big sins, right? You know, how we classify everything. I was focused on all the sin I found in me. I didn't have faith to believe for anything. The more I searched my heart, the more I searched my heart that day in communion, the more I saw and the more I became self-occupied and not Christ-occupied. Jesus said, take, this is, my, this is my body. Then he said, remember me. That's what he said when he, when he gave communion. Remember me, not remember you. Oh, what about when Paul said to examine yourself? He's telling the Corinthians, examine yourselves because you're getting drunk and eating dinner at communion. He's not saying examine yourself. Search your heart for the sin." I saw that day how disqualified I was to take communion. You can never be disqualified to take communion. Don't ever let anyone t preach that to you. They're taking that scripture, they're reading it wrong. I believe that when you take communion, you should look at only at Jesus and what he did for you. You should look only at his broken body because that's what he said to do. But the Bible says, search me, Jim. That's Old Testament. The Old Testament says, search me, oh God. You have to search me because I cannot search. It's probably David, right? <laughs> what, what is communion all about? Jesus said, Jesus said what it's all about. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood for the remission of sins. It is the new covenant. What we're talking about. It's the forgiveness and cancellation of the penalty for your sin. That's what remission means. The word remission is forgiveness of sins. That's what should be heavy on your mind when you drink the blood, the wine, the grape juice. It should be on your mind. Your sins are forgiven completely. Clean, free, that's righteousness. 
God wants you to take communion already knowing his blood that he gave was taken care of. You can, it's taking care of your sins. You can take communion always with a clear conscience. I would suggest don't spend communion occupied with yourself and all that's wrong with you. Spend communion occupied on the broken body of Jesus Christ or even the resurrection, resurrected body. See him coming out of the grave. And it had been down to come out of that grave. It had been down like that. I see him coming right out, out of here, standing up. So you're going to come and take communion with a bunch of sin consciousness? That, the Bible calls sin consciousness evil. Evil. Search my heart, God. Show me my sin. No, that's self-occupation. You should be thinking about your youth being renewed as eagles as you take communion. You should be thinking about the bread being healing for you through his stripes and broken body. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and close with communion. Are you ready? You guys all right? You're so studious. I don't know who's more studious, the, the nine, the nine or the five. Studious by studious, that's just a nice way for quiet. <laughs> um, listen, if you want to stand or if you want to sit as we take communion, I just want you comfortable where you can focus on the broken body of Jesus. And this is not something you worship here, but you need to know what he went through. Can we put the sculpture of Jesus up? It's just reality. It's, it's how the Bible described it. That's the closest you can get. I don't know if you get this online or not. You want to give me a nod on that to get that? Online, get to see this? We got permission from the, from the artist. So this is what you see. You know, you need healing. I just, I picture that part just, I mean, I, I'm sure that those whips are part of his face, right? You know, from my jaw, right? Think of it that way. They beat him. They beat him. His bones were showing. There's no disease that did not come on him on the cross. He took it all. He took everything. It's all listed in the Old Testament, what he took on his body, all sickness, all sin, everything. And you have to know that when you take communion for it to have power. It can help you. It can heal you. It can renew your youth. Okay? Are we ready to do this? All right? You ready to do this as we close? And if you feel like you need to stand, you can stand, but I just, I just want everybody just so they can focus on what he did for you Dear Jesus, the gospel is good news. And as we receive that good news today, as we take communion today, we do. We look at your body. We know what you did for us. He took the bread and he broke it. He said, take, eat. This is my body, which was broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant cut with my blood. It's often, that means you can do it often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me.